Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Podcast. To find out more about the Worklife Hub and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Hub Podcast. I am your host, Agnes Uheretsky. If this is the first time that you are tuning in, let me just say a few words about this podcast. We speak to authors, researchers, business thought leaders, for them to share their knowledge and insight on work-life balance, leadership, culture change and organizational development. In our work at the Worklife Hub, we help companies reform their workplace to create a culture that embraces diversity and work-life balance. We are passionate about building vibrant and engaging workplaces that are great for employees and customers. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do this via Twitter at WorkLifeHub, on our LinkedIn page or on our website. We're always happy to hear how you like the podcast or any other ideas that you would like to share with us. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the listeners of the Work Life Podcast. This is your host, Agnes Uheretsky. And today I'm joined by Fabrice Legarec, who's also here in Belgium and we're connecting via phone. So good morning, Fabrice, and thanks for coming on the podcast. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So just as a way of introduction, um, I'm very excited to be speaking today to Fabrice for mainly two reasons. And one of them is that we usually on the Work Life podcast, we speak to people who work mainly with um, professionals, managers, basically people working in the office with IT and, and I technology facilitated working in the service sector. So it's, it's really interesting for me to speak today with Fabrice because his main experience is with processes and manufacturing. So um, it will be a great addition to, to the collective knowledge we're building here. And the other um, area that he works in that particularly makes this such an exciting episode is because he's involved in large turnaround and change projects. So um, as a way of introduction, Fabrice is a senior executive and a people leader with 20 years of experience in product development and manufacturing transformations. He is supporting COOs and CEOs who are embarked on large turnaround challenges. And he's also a recognized lean management expert and brings a unique experience of cultural transformation, quality improvements and cost-cutting programs in a number of large industries in large com uh, complex corporations. So um, I think that, that uh, I'm really looking forward to our conversation, Fabrice. And if I can maybe hand over to you to tell listeners a little bit about yourself, about what drives you, your experience, your passion, and then we'll get more concretely into some of the specifics. Oh, th thank you, Agnes. I think you you describe um, on a high level very well why why I am and how I am seen today um, in 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 the world I am I am in. Um, and 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 I would say that um, um, all along, you know, my passion is really around. Um, how we can improve the ways organizations function, how we can 
make people um, more productive, um, enjoy their their life at work um, by evolving the ways of working. I always call them the last century ways of working have to have to disappear if we want to emerge in a new work culture and relation people and ways of working inside the organization. Lean management is just one of them. There are many other ways to to improve that. And across my career, all along, I've actually fine-tuned my approach to not only implement those changes, but also take companies um, along the journey of, of that transformation, because it doesn't come easy. Um, it requires a lot of courage and a lot of investment from leaders and um, all layers of management to actually transform the way they lead and therefore impact positively on their people and as a result impact positively on their innovation, productivity, quality. Um, that's the way it goes. Yeah, And, and, and it's, it's really um, what has been driving me and will keep driving me for the rest of my my career potentially my life as well because i don't intend to let go i think it's a lifelong project and um, the more of us the more we can change the the way that people enjoy their life at work um and i am a true believer thank you very much um for this inspiring introduction and before we go maybe into some of the nuts and bolts of your experience with turnarounds and large-scale uh, changes and transformation. Um, maybe to go back uh, one step, in your experience, what you are seeing in, in, your, in your profession, what would you say are the two, three biggest challenges that organizations have to reckon with that are, you know, dramatically impacting um, and requiring this uh, new paradigm shift from what you said from the 20th century uh, way of working that no longer fits the purpose oh there are there are um, there are a lot of challenges but there are there are some uh, as you said some of them i think um come out as probably much bigger than others um the first one that comes to mind the first one that comes to mind is, um, is, is, is basically the challenge of evolving a generation of leader who has been brought up, educated through the school system, through their careers, and have been extremely successful at leading top-down organizations, right? They have, they have um, literally being the chiefs, uh, they have micromanaged, they have uh, controlled um, the decision-making process, and they have shaped up their careers by, um, by and, and, and gone, you know, escalated uh, up in the ranks by um, displaying this kind of management behavior. How to unlearn that and learn new ways of working is by far the biggest challenge. You know, people um, need help and they need to be trained and they need to be mentored to be able to do that. And, and they need to be willing. Um, and and it's, 
it's one of the fundamental um, uh, roadblock in any transformation is how you're going to manage the transformation of your middle to top leadership um, uh, so that they start role modeling new ways of, of managing people. We had we had some of the um, other uh, podcast guests and some of the thought leaders speak uh, about servant leadership. Is is this a little bit what you're what you mean to for the leaders to yes. a kind of a creating from bottom up the resources and this creating this enabling environment for their people just just as a way of clarification. Yeah. Yeah, correct. Correct. I mean, servant leadership is another way of expressing this. Servant leadership is a is a is a is a principle. You know, it's an image. You can you can clearly understand what it means. However, it doesn't become true unless the people display uh, certain behaviors. They start to work differently, um, and they start to. Um, manage not so much like a pyramid, but more like a circle and where there are just one element of the circle, but then they encourage people to interconnect without them always interfering in what, um, it, in what the group is doing. Um, they facilitate decision-making process. They support problem solving. They uh, bring positive energy they bring a sense of direction, but not all directions, right? And and they have they have the humility to to realize that as a leader, uh, they don't lead the decision making process or they don't lead the the the, 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 the all the outputs, but they lead the people so that they can do the best possible job uh, by themselves, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's this notion of servant leadership. Uh, and it comes it comes actually on the ground. It comes with very concrete uh, ways of working that helps the leader spend much more time connected with these people and listening. And, and I think this is by far the biggest challenge uh, to to really. And I, sometimes I do believe it's going to take a whole generation. It's going to take the generation that is today at the helm of most organization between 50 and 65 for those who haven't changed yet to actually retire and have a whole new generation coming in who understands that and who feel the need for that to actually see significant change in in the way the uh, some some companies or departments are actually managed the the, the second the second biggest challenge i see is um what i call short-termism um the fact that you know, as a whole, the economy, the the, the volatility of the economy, um, the 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 lack of uh, for most organization able to predict, you know, even what's going to happen in a couple of years. You know, uh, it used to be companies making visions over five years, ten years. I mean, this is this is totally totally um, impossible these days. I mean, you. You, the, 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 this, this constant changing world, uh, instability, volatility, makes it very hard um, to, for leaders to, um, to focus um, on uh, other things than you know, getting the short-term results, right? And um, I think sometimes 
when we explain to leaders that they need to develop their people, they need to work with their people to get um, to get more mobilize all the brains that they have available to them to solve the difficult issues they have to solve. Still, the short-term necessities, the short-term actions, bring them back into a micromanaging mode, bring them back into, yes, that's all very nice, but we have to deliver results this term, right? We have to get the results at the end of the month. And it's, it's, it's always trying to make the balance between um, the, the long-term development of the organization and the people, the, the fundamental changes, and the short-termism of, of results, financial impact, et cetera, et cetera. Um, quite, quite significant challenge. This is what we see also in a lot of the work we're doing, um, in particularly when seems like when times are relatively calm and good, Leaders are much more engaged and 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 um, yeah. keen to to make um, changes in in the working conditions of people. But as soon as there's um, a new difficult patch coming, the knee-jerk reaction is to roll back again and go back to the old ways of working. And and so this stop go stop yeah. go is also very demotivating for people. And 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 there's a lot of cynicism then I guess from the people on the ground when they see these um, leaders not following through, not not engaging. And and actually this is what takes me to the next question that I was particularly interested in discussing with you mm. is that we see that <clears throat> for um, employees and people and staff to have a, a really good work experience to have a good work-life balance, but also to just have a good quality job, a lot of the changes that would need to happen would be systemic changes, changes mm. to the structure and not just perks and benefits. So, you know, I have nothing against yoga classes and fruit bowls, but I don't think they do the trick. I think the problems are much more deeper and we speak a lot about the ideal worker mm -hmm. type that all these systems and structures were set up for the ideal worker whereas there's a huge diversity and nobody actually fits this really yeah. anymore but what we see is then um, employers and, and leaders try to have a patchwork of micro solutions uh, to patch it up instead of going into the big transformation mm. unless perhaps if they're really suffering if the company is really on the brink um, firstly, my first first part of my question is, would you agree? Is this also something you see? But second, the second part would be how to encourage, you, you spoke about courage, how to give courage to these leaders and how to empower them to go deep and invest in this change that is going to pay off way more in the long term. Yeah, so... so... I, I think we all see um, somehow what you're describing. Um, I think companies are are trying, you know, their best to to retain their talents. They're trying their best to um, to create. Sometimes, uh, you know, the, I would I would call it the, the packaging around the job. Yeah, the packaging around the job. Uh, and we, you see it also in the manufacturing world. There are things that are, um, you know, are 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 better. You have um, 
idea generation schemes where people can, you know, uh, get some additional uh, rewards. Um, you have um, uh, basically, um, I'm not saying flexible hours because it's much harder in the manufacturing world due to shift patterns and also the rhythm of the production that necessitates people to be on the job. But you see, you see more and more uh, companies who are trying to have um, autonomous cells of people. I mean, this is not a new idea that's been tested in the past, but but where a group of employees are responsible for an area of production, and then within this area, they they they, they organize themselves in the in 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 the best possible way. If somebody needs to take an afternoon off for kids. Um, as long as the production output is there and the productivity is meeting expectation, as long as the quality objectives, then um, you can start to see some flexing here. Uh, it's still early days, I think. A lot of companies are still managed in a very traditional way where you have to clocking at 8 and you have to uh, 8 a.m. for your morning shift and leave at uh, at uh, 4 p.m. in the afternoon. So it's still very, um, very much like that, uh, but it's evolving at a slow, slow pace. So yes, I, I, do, I do agree uh, that a lot of companies are trying to improve the, the, the packaging. However, I, I, I do think that the fundamental um, issue is not in the packaging, but what's inside. The, the, the way that people... Um, experience the experience of the employee at work the way that they interact with their managers with their colleague and the way they feel valued um, and it, there's always two things that strike to my mind when you when you see increases in employee engagement and in, in, in at work it's always down to two things I've, 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 I've seen over time one is the the direct attention and care from their their direct manager the person that leads them on a day-to-day basis that attention that care that respect for them um that humanity i would say is is a very important point and it's one of the reason people leave their job actually it's not usually about money or whatever it's because they have a bad relationship with yeah. them and the second one is if you, if you, the second one, which is equally important, is that the people feel that they they have the ability to change their direct work environment or influence the change of their direct work environment. So, um, and that's that's equally important because you can have a very good uh, relationship with your manager and your colleague. You could have a very engaging. Uh, but then at the same time, if you if you do not have the if nobody gives you the opportunity to to change the the the, the boring job that you are doing or to to evolve some of the processes or some of the practices to make the job even better, um, more challenging, more interesting or simply uh, of a better quality, um, then people disengage as well. And you've got to find a balance uh, between between getting people engaged in improving their day-to-day work and 
and striking a, a, a very good leadership um, above them that is going to enable these people to be positive, to, to change, to have ideas, and to bring the best of themselves. And these two things are what I, what's it, what I believe is inside the packaging. You know, the things around it are nice, but that's not what the people expect. People expect those two basic needs. They, they want that. When you talk to people around shop floors around the world, from Japan to Chile to America, they all say the same thing. And I've, you know, I've, I've, I've heard them for many, many years now. They all have fundamental human needs around what they expect from their work. And those two things are actually very key. Absolutely. And this is also... Um... That takes me to to another point and and to the second part of my my question, which was I spoke to somebody from one of the largest social secretariats in Belgium, you know, and and they are the ones who see the figures of burnout and absenteeism. Mm -hmm. And but when they speak with the companies and when they present the figures, how much it costs, the turnover, high staff turnover, the the disengaged, the cost of the disengaged and um, and then leaving employees, um, the answer is usually not mm-hmm. um, to look inside the packaging, but uh, but the packaging. And, and that's what I wanted to ask you um, as a follow-up. Mm-hmm. How or when is it that a leader then takes this decision to, to make the changes of the packaging, of, of the content, not the packaging, the content, how to change these fundamentals, the fundamentals that you were just describing, which takes a lot of thought, it takes yeah, a lot content, of yeah. consultation, it takes a lot of preparation and managing risks. So so in, in your experience, what, what are these key moments that would tip, you know, leadership into embarking on the change process? Well, I, I'll tell you a, a story that actually people don't uh, don't know very well, and, and people um, it's about the, the, the Toyota as a company. Toyota is today um, one of the leading company in terms of um, perform, you know performance and continuous improvement, and I and, uh, and I have had the privilege to work for them for a few years, and I still highly regard this company as 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 the way that they are able to continuously improve, engage their people, problem solve, and, and leading the way in, in their industry. And what people don't realize is Toyota was not like that uh, from the very beginning. In fact, they had to be, you know, they, they, they went on the verge of, of bankruptcy in the, in the 50s. Um, and it's only after that point that they realized that unless they they find a way to engage their employees to mobilize 100% of the brains and the hearts available to them, um, um, that they would, they would get themselves, potentially get themselves out of trouble forever. Um, and it's, it, that's the whole, it's the, it's, and I think in most cases, this is what companies realize when they are starting to get in trouble uh, they start to see that the management is no longer, you know, able to cope with all the, the crisis, the problem around the company. Um, that some of them realize they need to change their culture. They cannot no longer have this entrepreneurial 
um, structure where the boss was the, 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 the the founder of the of the of the company and he was doing everything he had a small family size team at some point the companies can no longer uh, stay like that um, because because basically there's just not enough brain power to think and solve problems every day and um, the unfortunate point is that um, mo- most companies wait until they are in real trouble to realize that they need to do something. And they, they see the real trouble by company, um, you know, talented employees leaving. They see on financial results. They see on quality performance. No matter how they see it, they usually wait uh, way too long. Um, and by that time, employees usually are demoralized. They're disillusioned. They they really don't always believe the management will have the capability to change the way they lead, um, and that brings the cynicism. That brings the, the the what strikes me, you know, when I walk on shop floors around the world all the time is to see is to see the cynicism of people on the shop floor. We just see initiatives come in and leave, uh, they see leaders come in and leave, you know, the turnaround of leaders in organization has never been so short in the whole of, uh, the whole of the industrial, uh, uh, period of, of humanity. I mean, it's just, it keeps shrinking, right? People stay in jobs now for two years, maybe three years. I don't have the exact statistics, but it's amazing how fast yeah. things change. But the people who stay on the manufacturing line, who usually don't change so often, they stay there for, for a long period, yeah. they really um, look at this as a giant circus, right? Of, you know, one manager comes and then in two years, another one will come. Why, why, should, we, why should we engage with these people? Because they're, they're going to be gone in two years anyway. You know, what's our, what's our commitment to them? What is the trust relationship? And that, that is, a, that is a, a significant issue. If you want to break the cynicism, I think you have to provide a bit more leadership stability, but you also have to um, try to evolve your culture before it's too late, before, before you get in really big trouble. Uh, because at that point, uh, people have, um, you know, they are forced, into a corner and the trust may have been already diluted by that time. Yeah, absolutely. So in your experience, what are a couple or just even one initiative that you have seen or that you have led that managed to, to break this um, cycle of, of new initiatives or cynicism or disengagement. It would be, I think, really valuable for the listeners to hear one or two examples very concretely. Mm. I mean, we, we, we do that all the time when we really go about, we contract with a particular site in the world and we, we you know, engage them into um, what we call an operational excellence journey. And we say, 
we, we basically help them implement um, very concrete new ways of working. So I'll give you a few examples um, uh, of, of, of concrete things that help reconnect um, the people who add value, the people who are on the working, uh, on, on the lines, on the, you know, executing the process and, and basically, you know, uh, delivering the products to the customer. Um, reconnect these people with their middle and top management. And, um, and the results are uh, when, when people play, uh, play this to the, the fullest, the, the results are, are amazing. And uh, the trust can be rebuilt. It's a matter of how much the leader is prepared to involve himself or herself into this into this journey. Um, concretely, we, we established something called roundtables. So roundtables, it's, it's the word that we use for this, where we say to a manager of a team, you know, team of 10 or, or more, um, you know, we would like you once a month to establish a, it could be, could be more often. Um, we, we advise not to do less often, but let's say once a month, you're going to pick a selection of your employees. They, they can rotate. They don't have to be the same. And you are going to meet together in one room for an hour, an hour and a half. And you're going to let those employees run the agenda. Um, you're just going to be there listening, trying to make sense of what they are telling you. And you're going to bring topics um, uh, let them bring topics, bring also topics that you want to discuss and try to problem solve together. It could be about the work environment. It could be about the way um, the, the, the way things are organized in the in the team. Uh, but basically, the leader has the duty to listen and to engage people from all levels um, of his group. Um, uh, we, we typically ask them that they, they have people from all the different levels. Uh, if they have four levels, well, you know, bring an operator, bring a technician, bring a, a supervisor, bring a, a manager, uh, if you're a senior manager, right? And, and mm -hmm. have this open and honest conversation that has only one aim is to surface issues, uh, unspoken issues in a way that is honest, uh, that is humble and that leaves the people feeling that you are going to try to do something about it. You may not be successful, but you definitely have heard their concerns. You have tried to understand what solutions they believe could be suitable because it's, you know, unless the solution is, is actually worked with the people you know, the chances of having a sustainable uh, output is, is very weak. Um, so you're going to hear what their solutions could be, and you're going to try to work out something that um, is going to be good for everyone. Um, so that that's a very practical way of working, and we help those leaders develop those, those, those ways of working. Um, Another one that we do, we, we recommend for leaders, for example, to do, um, to take uh, on a daily, uh, at least uh, weekly basis, 
what we call um, a, a, a gemba walk. Or gemba walk comes from the Japanese terms um, of, of the place, the place where the value is added. And, and the gemba walk is about uh, the leader going where the people are working, you know, leaving his office, leaving his meeting room, going where the people are working, and engaging with the people about uh, the the issues that they are facing in the workplace. Um, so it's changing territory, going where uh, where value is added, and really observing, discussing with the people, and seeing firsthand what is bothering them, what are the issues that they are facing, and hearing again what people believe should be done about it, um, and helping engaging them on potential solutions that they either implement or you get somebody else to implement. But these two, for example, these two practices are, you know, they're not that obvious for a lot of leaders. A lot of leaders don't do yeah. that. And they're, they, they're an eye opening for these, for these people. When we start doing this with them, they realize how much energy, how much brain power, um, there is in their team. People want to contribute. People want to be meaningful. They want to be trusted. They want to be heard. And unless the leader makes this feasible, makes this possible, then you you cannot change the the content of the box, right? You yeah. you you are stuck. You are stuck with the ways of working of another century. No, that's absolutely true. Thank you very much for for sharing these these two very concrete examples and and we know from research that even just being heard and listened to is already um enhancing and improving engagement scores within organizations and and um people know that they cannot have everything. You know, they're adults. But already the fact that they're listened to and, and their opinion about their own work is uh, respected has a huge influence on morale and, and engagement and motivation. I think we all, all really can relate to mm -hmm. that. Now, before we go to the last question, because mm -hmm. unfortunately the time is always way too fast here on the podcast recording. Before we go to the last question, may I ask you, um, to tell listeners how they can maybe get in touch with you or learn more about your work? Well, I mean, I mean I'm currently, uh, I, I do post on a regular basis on LinkedIn. There are a few articles that I like to share. I like to share my reflection. There are many, many um, inspirations for me uh, on this. And I, I truly believe that, uh, I'm a true believer that the the, the world is evolving in the direction we have spoken about in the last uh, last hour, um, so I do write from time to time. Uh, LinkedIn is probably the best connection uh, that you can have uh, with me, and um, I'm looking forward to to questions if people have questions on that. Thank you, and we will also put your a link to your LinkedIn profile to the write up of the podcast on our website. Um, and to go to the last question, which is always the same here, if I could ask you, Fabrice, one question, mm. one, one advice to give to a CEO to face this new world of work and prepare for the 21st century, what would be your advice? 
Oh, um, my my one advice, um, you know, trust your people. Get trust your people. Trust the 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 willingness and the brains that are available to you. They are people are amazing. If you give them a voice, if you um, treat them with respect and this, you know, regardless of the difficulty of your industry, which may go through. The, the people that you have around you are are amazing and and you know if you could change your culture to leverage more of their contribution to help you to to you know even co-shape the the vision of the company even the strategy of the company i hear that some companies are really trying models where you know, employees are also involved in the strategy. Why not? I mean, people are um, willing to contribute and they are um, sometimes... Uh, so a company is not a democracy, right? At the end, somebody needs to make a, a tough call and needs to make a clear direction and, and bet on something and invest money. So, um, But at the end of the day, the process of involving people uh, would be would be my biggest recommendation and and you know a ceo today that is not thinking about how he can leverage honestly leverage the heart and the brains that he has available to him probably doesn't deserve to be a ceo for much longer because the the world needs ceos that um think like this that really try to um make the contribution of every single one of his employees meaningful and valued. And uh, I'm very hopeful for the future because I think a whole new generation of leaders are coming with this mindset. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sharing your experience and, and your great advice and insight. And also, I think, optimism, <laughs> which, is, which uh, doesn't hurt. So yes. thank you very much, uh, Fabrice, for coming on the podcast. I really enjoyed our conversation and I'm sure the listeners also take away a lot of knowledge and a lot of your insights. Thank you. Thank you and good luck with your project. <laughs>